it all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Travis Penfield, founder and CEO of 49 Financial. Travis graduated magna cum laude from Texas A&M University in 2011 with a degree in finance. He joined Deloitte Consulting before starting his career as a financial advisor at AXA Advisors. While at AXA, Travis broke all the records in hiring, retention, and development, and his emerging leaders were hired primarily as new college graduates. In 2019, Travis transitioned that group from AXA to 49 Financial and now has over 250 advisors nationwide. The entire business model is based on the firm's motto, two are better than one, from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, which says, two are better than one, for they get a better return for their labor. Travis lives in Austin, Texas with his wife, Jacqueline, their daughter, Charlotte and Olivia, and their golden doodle, Duncan. In his spare time, you can find Travis playing with his girls, playing golf, catching a Peloton ride, or enjoying wine and good food. Travis Jordan Penfield, welcome into the corner office. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. Ah, it's great to have you here and great to catch up a couple of minutes before we got started today. Uh, we're just after the Thanksgiving holiday. This is probably going to be released in a few weeks out. So uh, how's your turkey belly doing? Let's start with that. <laughs> turkey, turkey belly is good. Had plenty of it. Yeah, kind of a... Odd All the leftovers gone for now. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. They're le- thank God the pie is finally gone. Oh, yes. That's the one that adds all the ways. Now, you said you had kind of a small uh, gathering this this year. We, we, we did. did that yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, with with everything going on, we ended up just yes. being my wife and my two girls. Both are oh. actually uh, under the age of two. So we had oh, our hands gosh. full. So small gathering, but a loud gathering. <laughs> small, but a loud gathering. Well, that's terrific. And, you know, obviously you'd mentioned about interesting times where I, I, how many months has it been, or has it been years we've been in this pandemic? I know. I, I just can't believe it. How are you holding up? How's your team, family, greater family and in, in doing during these, you know, somewhat challenging times? Yeah. I mean, we've been blessed in that um, everyone's been safe. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think that's been, uh, you know, business and personal been mm. the theme. And I know that's Hallelujah. not everybody. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think, you know, with with great challenges and really just r- disruptions in general to the natural flow, you know, we've been challenged in areas to adapt and learn new rhythms right. uh, professionally and personally. And I think now whatever we're in, you know, nine months into this thing, you know, <laughs> are we nine? I think it's that right. Nine yeah, or 10. Something. I can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you just, I think in some ways you start to uh, see 
uh, if I can say positives, uh, positives right. that can come out of something so negative. Yes. If, right. if you look right. for it. Look for the bright side. Well, that's great. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear all are safe. We always like to start the podcast, you know, just hearing a little bit about the early years, you know, wh- where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So was was actually uh, born outside of Chicago. Okay. Chicago uh, boy. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I'm told that uh, I, I touched Michael Jordan's hand. I don't know if that's true <laughs> or not, but I think that's, oh, that's important great. to note. <laughs> yeah. Was your father a basketball fan or he your mom? He was a basketball fan. And yeah. when I was growing up, I told all my friends. There's there's three reasons why I'm going to be Michael Jordan. You know, I uh, was born on February 23rd. Oh. My middle name is Jordan, and wow. I'm born in Chicago. So, uh, and you touched his hand as a kid. I, I touched his hand. So maybe there's four reasons, Brad. There you go. But I yeah, so uh, moved when I was a young kid to uh, right. San Antonio, Texas, and okay. um, and yeah, I had actually a wonderful upbringing. So I'm one of the the stories that there wasn't just an amazing amount of, of drama. In fact, it was kind of you know, me and my older brother, my younger sister Trivia. grew up in a Christian home, went to actually yeah, a private probably. Christian school. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for that, you know, the more that I live and get to talk to people, uh, a very calm upbringing, uh, yeah. one that I, you know, got a lot of support and was really raised under the right principles, the right direction. And, um, and obviously that's, that's stayed with me, you know, throughout my adult life. What did mom and dad do? Mom, mom work in the home with the kids or is she outside? She, dad? She, yeah. So she was actually a corporate woman. So oh, wow, USAA, cool. uh, oh, yeah, you know, big sure. bank insurance. Big insurer. Yeah. Um, yeah, she 30 something years there and, you know, rose at different levels. And, uh, what I, what I so admire about her there is, you know, she actually retired and had her uh, going away Zoom. What an odd time to retire, right? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so she retired during the pandemic. Yeah. Right? It's been recently. Yeah. Uh, and and uh. to hear the impact that she had, uh. not just on uh, the people in a business perspective, but how many of them from a faith perspective were strengthened. You uh. know, she was known probably more for the Bible studies she led than uh, the corporate that. meetings she led. So, you know, wonderful woman, look up to her uh, in so many ways. Then my father was more the entrepreneur. Okay. Uh, so he had a medical sales company. And he still kind of dabbles in it. But uh, funny enough, uh, I, I don't think I'd have been on the path I'm on had I not had a, a fear of blood because he, <laughs> you know, I told him in college, I said, why can't I just take this thing over? Yeah, that'd be easy. And, uh, and I remember him describing to me a day in surgery. <laughs> And oh, I got gosh. so woozy that I said, Oh, this said, is an inserted medical device, right? That's right. Inside that's the right. body. Oh, gosh. Oh, I and I was like, that. okay, yeah, I, I don't think this is right <laughs> for me. I'm going to study finance. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. I love it. Was was dad uh, kind of stay at home then and kind of more looked after the kids? Yeah. So, I mean, like a- you know, the joy of the entrepreneur, and I think that's where in a lot of ways I, I got to see it is, you know, he didn't really miss taking us to school, picking us up. He made right, his own, right. you know, hours and in a lot of ways, I mean, he, he was in every sporting event and all of that while yeah. still did tremendously well at his job. And so awesome. I think that gave me a pretty good example of, wow, if you, if you want to take that bold, risky route of entrepreneurship, uh, there are, there are side benefits to it. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned you grew up in a Christian home, so I'm assuming your parents both were at the time that you were born or your brothers and sisters. And yeah, I mean, all of them, you know, Christian. And and I think for me, my journey, funny enough, is I, I said, I said the prayer, like we say, you know, uh, to, to, uh, have salvation when I was five right. after seeing a, wow. a skit at a you know, Trinity Baptist church in San Antonio, but Jeez. it didn't, it didn't materialize. I would say uh, it didn't really mean something to me until I was seventeen. And okay. you know, frankly, I think when you're when you're 
growing up in a Christian home, you go to a Christian school where there's Bible class every day and chapel on Thursdays. You go to youth group on Tuesday nights and church and youth group on Sundays. You know, I think that you're pretty me, integrated. You you are. And, and I think that while I knew a lot of the answers, um, I actually didn't come to have a real, I would say, uh, Travis and Jesus faith um, okay. until 17. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me about some of the folks that inspired you along the way. You know, obviously mom and dad, any specific things about them? You mentioned, of course, the work ethic and, you know, mom's great way of sharing. But, uh, you know, older brother, sister, you know, other people in the church, pastors, coaches, you know, tell us a little bit about those that might have kind of given you a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a shove or a push or encouragement along the way. Yeah. You know, I think that, that my parents, um, one of the things, you know, I was kind of a wild child, let's just, let's just (laughs) put it out there. And so I think for them to be able to know where I needed to be unbridled, if you will, Mm, in my personality, um, I I think that that was so much wisdom and led to ultimately who I am because I, I was able to mature in the areas that obviously I needed to and still have such a long way to go, obviously, but they did, they did a great job in that where I think it would have been an easier route to just kind of say, just don't do this or don't pursue this, or that's going to not work out or whatever. Like letting me fail, I think right, was sure. was super helpful. Sure. And then, yeah, I mean, I had a, um, a coach actually, uh, when I was in high school that, you know, I think that I had always, um, I don't know, had, had big dreams and aspirations of what I could become, but it was always me focused. And right. it was the first person that I actually saw that I would say made faith look cool. Ah, Um, and he had such a big impact because before then I thought it was kind of this staunchy, you know, Baptist background, uh, you know, it was a Christian school. I'm assuming you, that's right. That's right. And, and, you know, I think that, that, that coach kind of helped me understand that, um, you know, I could make my faith my own and, Mm. um, and then, yeah, I think, you know, I had, I had a few mentors, a couple people that were CEOs of businesses that, that, you know, I got to sit with them weekly when I was a senior yeah. in high school to just hear how they do it. Um, you know, now that they have sold businesses, you know, and, and had successes, what do they think now? What have right. they learned? What do they see right. in me? And so I think that, uh, some of those business people really exposing me to what life could be in 10, 20, mm. 30 years, um, nice. I think got my appetite for entrepreneurship. Right. Right. That's cool. So coach, I'm assuming basketball. Uh, funny enough, no. uh, it, basketball <laughs> is what I played. It was right. actually a soccer coach. Soccer uh, coach. I got somehow okay. roped into being the goalie, which if you ever <laughs> asked me to kick a ball, you'd be like, now, how are you the goalie? I don't, I don't think you deserve that position. <laughs> well, at least you could use your hands that's like right. you do in basketball, right? That's exactly so that right. Sense. I just said, hey, listen, I'm, you know, I'm six, four. I've got a yeah, pretty, you're pretty tall, big right? wingspan. Yeah. I, I, there you it, go. Just let that the ball hit me in the face, move. you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he, he was, he was tremendous. Were you a good student in, you know, elementary, middle school, high school? Yeah. You know, I've always had, you know, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, you know, I'm, right. I'm about as atypical of a, a three as you're going to find. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And so that, that goes back there where if I see something that I can achieve that will give me recognition and almost affirmation, right? I'm going to go after that. And grades to me were this simple way of checking yeah. this box of yeah, right. I'm doing well. And so, yeah, I never really struggled with them because I always focused on it because it, yeah, I think it, it helped me, uh, you know, continue to kind of fill this, the, okay, you're good, Travis, you're good. Yeah, sure. What about uh, other pursuits uh, other than sports and school, you know, involved in music? Did you have a chess club? You know, are there other <laughs> things that you were involved with uh, in those early years? 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, kind of back to this idea of entrepreneurship. So uh, when I was a kid, uh, there was a, a new gaming console called the Sega Dreamcast. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, it came out with Sonic the Hedgehog game. That's right. That's and right. I'm that a kid, and I, you know, yeah. I go to my dad and I'm like, "Hey, I want to get this console," and he's like, "Well, I'm not <laughs> going to get it for you." I'm like, "Well, why not?" And he's like, "Because well, you haven't earned it, and you you don't need it." And he said, but I'll give you my lawnmower. And so ah. I literally took his lawnmower. I mowed his lawn, I took a it. picture with the Polaroid of his lawn and knocked on all of my neighbor's doors, <laughs> showed him the Polaroid and said, do you want your lawn to look this way? Oh, I love and, it. That's uh, and great. I said, whatever you're getting, you know, charged, I'll do $5 left. And, you know, before yeah. I knew it, I had a little bit of a, little bit of a, uh, uh, a business going there in the neighborhood. That's great. What was your hit rate? You know, of the 10, of 10 you'd go to and you'd show the picture and, and knock five bucks out. Would you do 10 out of 10 or eight out of 10? It, it was high. <laughs> uh, it wasn't 10 out of 10, but I think as I reflect now, this scrawny kid yeah. coming up, showing a picture clearly of That's his parents' great. yard. Wonderful um, case study. Huh? Yeah. I think, I think it was almost like, all you know? Yeah. We got to give him a shot. That's Come right. on, Charles. That's let, exactly him, let him right. go. Let him go do it. That's exactly Exactly right. Any other entrepreneurial things? It sounds like obviously your dad's influence there played a little oh, part. Oh yeah, I uh, I almost uh, was going to actually not go to Texas A and M, and I was going to drop out to actually start. Uh, I had a family friend, one of those entrepreneurs that mentored me, uh, that had a cigar business of all things. Oh my things. gosh! And yeah. um, and you know, I, I kind of learned it and understood it. And, uh, thank God for my mother who shut it down and said, I'm not having my 18 year old son smoke cigars all the time just because he wants to have a business pursuit. So tried that one. I tried, um, I tried when, um, you know, the, the Froyo, you know, was going crazy. Oh yeah, sure. Frozen gone, yeah. Yeah. It was nuts. I, I actually went right. to New York and I saw a, a cupcakery and, um, and I go mm. to it and I'm like, this is unbelievable. And I had this whole plan that I was going to go to a bunch of small, uh, town, college towns and do kind of the Froyo model and open it up everywhere, make it pretty and try <laughs> to sell it in three years. And, uh, oh, luckily my, my wife's dad, cause I had actually already asked him if I could marry his daughter. He said, okay. if you do that cupcake thing and you don't take the job in consulting, I'm not letting you marry her. I'm, I'm not withdrawing have, my approval. That's right. <laughs> I so, love that. That's thank great. God well, that was for, incentive. Uh, that yeah. was incentive. Oh, and I wanted to marry her. Uh, so yeah, a lot there of failed entrepreneurship efforts along the way. I love that. I love that. So Texas A&M, great school. And it looks like you actually began at De- Deloitte before you left. Is that right? Did you do some that's right. interning with them? Yeah. And that led to something full-time. Tell us a little bit about that transition. Yeah, well, so I did the internship and uh, the honest truth was when it came down to finding a full-time job, mm. I was yeah. so in love with my girlfriend, now wife, that I said, I have got to find a job that has the highest signing bonus because I've got to get a ring, you know? <laughs> That's right. And if you know Texas Motivation A&M, once again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the norm. You get married at 22 right. if you come out of that school. And so I yeah. um, I actually made my decision, um, not wise at all, but but yes, I love the idea of consulting and the idea of traveling, seeing different industries, but really it was a signing bonus to get married. And um, And yeah, I mean, when I started you know, I was traveling around everywhere. I mean, I had stints in um, sure. Germany and Amsterdam wow. and Canada and all these places. And, you know, what was so interesting, though, is in, you know, Jacqueline and I, my wife, in our first month of marriage, post the honeymoon, 
I actually only saw her for two days. Oh goodness! And wow. um, and and I, I knew that that was kind of that lifestyle. So it's not as if I wasn't got, given those expectations. But sure. you know, I'll never forget, Brandt. I was sitting in a, um, a Pittsburgh hotel, looking <laughs> oh, over the beautiful downtown. It's you know ten o'clock. I had never walked in snow before, so my leather shoes were torn to pieces. <laughs> and uh, I sit out there, and I and I look out, and I just think to myself. I wasn't, I'm not the type of person that's built to do this. Yeah, like yeah. just almost a sadness really right, came over right, of, right. I'm a community guy. I'm You've a, been on the road. You've been yeah. on the road too long. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I think that's when, um, yeah, I, I always say I did what any good millennial will do. And I called my parents <laughs> and I said, dad, I need to pivot. What am I exactly going to do? Right. I said, is it okay that I don't like this? And of course, back to, you know, their wonderful parents kind of encouraging me of, of course, no, you, sh- you shouldn't do it then. And, and even though great company, um, and you know, they gave me all the expectations, it just wasn't the right fit for me. Right. Well, you spent about seven, almost eight years with AXA Advisors. That's where you went next. Mm-hmm. And and the last half of that's a little little different. We'll talk about that and how you transitioned because that's kind of an interesting story. But uh, what, what made you choose them? Obviously, it was Austin-based, right? So you weren't traveling anymore. But uh, it sounded like it was a, that's a pretty big pivot, right, from being a technology analyst to a financial professional. Tell us what, you know, thought process went through with that one. Yeah, I mean, great Other question. than calling mom and dad. Which, that's you know, right. Of course. Mom and dad started it. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I think that uh, it, it was interesting as I talked to a bunch of friends. Uh, right. I loved in college being able to mentor freshmen and sophomore guys, hear what's yeah. going on in their life, and then try to create kind of almost like a game plan of accountability for them. Right, right. And of course, like I said, I'm a finance major, love numbers. Uh, the whole, you know, take over my dad's business didn't work sure. out. Uh, so right, right. I, um, <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> that's right. And so, you know, it, it was kind of this interesting when someone said, you know, that a financial advisor uses numbers and they sit down and just try to help people hold accountable to, mm. to goals. And I said, well, that's those are the two things I love. And, yeah, and, and you know, right. I wasn't even pursued to do that because. When you've got good grades in finance these days, you know, you're hounded by consulting investment That's banking right. firms. You don't That's even have right. a chance, you know, yeah. to, to yeah. even see those things because they're just all over you to, to, to join them. Right. And so uh, I think really the, the honest answer of why I joined was a guy named Jeff Davidson. Uh, you know, he was my interview and I'd interviewed, you know, with a couple of different firms and I had this, you know, big idea of some of the things I'd even been exposed to at Deloitte as far as how some of the financial planning worked at Fortune 500 companies that, you know, I had some real interest in and that entrepreneurship bug was coming back. But, you know, Jeff interviewed me and here was a guy that had had tremendous success, Mm. 10, 11 years older than me. But, you know, the final interview was so unique. Everyone else talked to me about the money I was going to make and all these things. And his final interview was literally, I want to mentor you to create one of the largest financial firms the world will ever see. And Uh secondarily, I really want to mentor you and ask you through the years we spend together, how's your marriage? How's your faith? Mm. How are these things? And, yeah. you know, Brant, for me, what a foreign Jeff, concept. Jeff's a believer. Yes. I take it. And, yeah. and what yeah. a foreign concept coming from an environment where not only did we not talk about those things, but we were so on the road that there was no time to talk about, you know, how, how I was doing with my spouse because I never seen her. You know, there, there was no time of, it was God, the part. It's laughable, but it's sad. It right, is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it was partner track, partner track. And this is where right, you'll be in right, 20 right. years versus him saying the world <sighs> where is Where are you to today? You. Yeah. World spinning around. Oh, that's great. And, and you, you kind of transition now. Tell us a little bit about 
how fine, you know, 49 financial kind of evolved out of AXA. Cause I see that yeah. for most of your time there, right. You built up the team. We talked about that in your yeah. bio. Yeah. And, and these were people that you managed then. Is that how that mm -hmm. works within that organization? And yeah. you know, tell us about how that transitioned to becoming an independent company. It's, it's a little, that was a little curious to me. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so started there with them and, you know, started to develop my own, you know, clientele and serving and loving on clients and solving their problems. Right. And then, uh, you know, my mentor kind of said, Hey, listen, I've been in all of the meetings with you. Mm. Um, what if you this did, is Jeff again, this is Jeff. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What if you did that for other people? And huh. I said, well, I'd love to do that. I'd love to mentor. Right. And that kind of, right. that kind of scratched that itch, if you will, of that mentorship, sure. I'd always love to do. So, you know, Brand, I just started, just started hiring people under the idea of, Hey, this is what Jeff did for me. Here's been the results. And, you know, let me, let me look to hire you. And, and right. it just exploded. And by 2016, we became the top group, um, you know, in, in the nation. And that was at record timing and With, record within numbers. AXA. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and yeah. I'm just wow. a kid, you know, I mean, I, and, he, and this is the first time you started managing people too, that's right. right? Cause yeah, you didn't have it previously. Wow. Yeah. That's 26 years old. And uh, how many folks were on your team by that time? Uh, I would say, I don't know, 30, maybe wow. 40. That's uh, you know, young wow. advisors. And, yeah. uh, it was then brought to me, you know, Jeff said, you know, Travis, you're going to have to come up with a name because this idea of just, you know, <laughs> you bringing people under Pinfield and AXA, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to really scale. And I agreed. Mm. And, uh, he said, you know, a buddy of mine 10 years ago, uh, had heard a, a sermon on Ecclesiastes four, nine, and always thought the coolest uh, financial firm name would be 49 Financial, but nothing ever materialized. We never were able to grow a big enough group for it to even really, really be a thing. But if you would entertain it, I know that, you you know, you love the Bible, you love, you know, everything in there. But, you know, our thought was really what is now manifested in reality of what you're doing, which is the idea that two are better than one because you get a better return for your labor. Right. So. Right. What if in finance, known for lone wolfing and eat what you yeah. kill and greed and ego? <laughs> greed and is good. The, that's yeah, right. right. Yeah. What if yeah. we did it together mm. and we had two advisors wow. on every uh, you know client interaction? And what if you actually took that model and scaled it out to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of advisors? And mm. you know, four years before we were in an interview talking about me starting something big, and all of a sudden it seemed like wow, it was just this perfect alignment. Yeah. And I said. I'm going to take that name and uh, we're going to, we're going to build something. Wow. And you know, what was crazy brand is 2017. We have that name and, um, you know, still connected with the AXA, but yeah, you, you established it with an AXA, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and triple, triple the performance. We tripled in revenue and headcount wow. and all of these things. And, and it was very clear to me, oh my goodness, th there's a lot of other people that understand the value of the idea of two are better than one. Which right. is really synonymous right. for what you know, community. That's right. I mean that Absolutely. that's all it is. Yeah, but we're right. we're all, especially in the pandemic, it seems like we're escalating quickly away from even knowing what community is and the benefits it is and how as humans we need it. But you know, as as we started to progress and grow uh, and get bigger and bigger and bigger, you know what happened, Brent? Is it it, it we tried so hard and uh, you know hats off to the leadership at Axe. I mean, we tried very hard hours upon hours of trying to figure it out right. to see, could it work? But, you know, I think simply put, uh, what, what ended up occurring was it was very clear that if you get big enough inside of an organization like that, you no longer become kind of the, the, the golden child, the golden pony of, yeah. you know, follow Travis, you should do everything he says, but you actually turn into becoming a threat.
yeah, which is so right. interesting. Yeah, and so, yeah, right, you know, in right. my last maybe year there, um, I just kind of gotten that feeling that, wait a second, I, my, my sheer performance is threatening this business model yeah, yeah, and it's making yeah. it a very awkward situation. And, you know, when you get big enough, a lot of the things you're doing, operationally speaking, you know, are yours and you need right. people to do and execute your own sure. systems and things that don't, don't align maybe with the enterprise. And so yeah. for, for all of those reasons, you know, it kind of just bubbled up to a point where it became very obvious. And I took the, I took the big leap. Uh, last you know, October, right? So last not even October. just barely, barely over a year. And, and, right. you know, was it amicable or were you able to do it in such a way that, you know, you get shake hands and parted friends, so to speak? You know, I, I think that I think that as we look at it today, um, I would hope that that would be yeah. uh, what what would be said on both sides. Uh, right, I think right. that because of the amount of time and effort and energy that had been spent in trying to make that work, sure, and then the very sure. clear things that just showed that it would not work, and frankly, that the partnership just wasn't aligned in a lot of areas. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it had its headwinds, I'll say, right. um, I can imagine. it, it, yeah, it, so it maybe wasn't as clean, um, you know, as, as I think anyone would, would think, but in reality, uh, looking back, I, I don't know that it could have, it could have been different, right? right. I, it, right. it is, it is almost what it is. Well, let's take a little bit of a sidetrack now. Now we are both members of a group C12, C12 for those of our listeners that don't know is a international peer advisory forum for Christian owned businesses. Um, I've been involved since 2017. I was part of the, the membership and the, and the establishment of the, of the um, group in, in Connecticut. Wh where did you join and when did you get involved? Yeah. So I joined actually, I'm, I'm, I'm at my two year anniversary, I think now, right now, yeah. Um, and so joined two years ago and so you were at Austin. AXA, right? You were, you were still at AXA at the time or, or I was, it? yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which so talk about a pretty amazing, um, you know, group, as C12, when you go through right. the, the transition I went through to have a bunch of other business owners, just giving you advice and wisdom. I mean, what a godsend. Right. Yeah. And how has it been for you? How have you found these last couple of years? Has it been something really helpful in terms of growing your business and figuring out how to go about managing people? Because you must be larger now, right? I'm sure you've added additional staff since you were at AXA or, or have yeah. you kind of slowed it down a little bit due to the pandemic. No, no, we have uh, we have grown at, at very, very rapid paces. That's a part of our business model. Mm -hmm. uh, but C12, you know, what what I think that they provide, um, it's this, this unique time where you can actually sit with people far better than you at business mm, and yeah. hear about their experiences, but in a way that is so vulnerable and honest that then allows you to have a safe place to say, here's what I'm struggling yeah. with. Here's the decisions right. I have to right. make. And then people yeah. immediately coming in saying, oh, I've got you. You know, And, and in some yeah. ways, you know, not to put it back to, to 49, but the best way I can describe C12 for me and anyone that I know that's been a part of it is it almost takes this whole two or better than one of we need each other. And if you keep that's reading right. that scripture, you know, woe to the person that falls that doesn't have someone to pick him up. That's yeah, kind of what C12 right. does is we Very all fall so. and, yeah. and we get each other's yeah. backs and pick each other up. Well, they're, you know, I kind of refer to them as my, by my board of non-executive directors, right? Mm -hmm. You That's know, right. those people that can provide advice and counsel and, you know, there's no, there's, there's a lot of humility in the room. You know, no one's got any, uh, 
you know, hidden agendas. They're just really there to give you that honest truth. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's been obviously tremendous for my business too. Well, you know, scripture is in your name. So, you know, asking about how Christ <laughs> was involved in your business is a little superfluous, <laughs> but, but, you know, how does that play out, you know, and from a cultural standpoint, yeah. you know, do you guys like take your mom's example and have Bible studies, at, you know, at, in the office? Do you, do you, you know, uh, recruit, you know, folks that maybe only have a certain, you know, ethical background, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about how that plays out culturally at, at Fort Financial. Yeah, I think that's really good. And obviously, you know, when it was first, the name was first kind of talked to me about, you know, in, in 2016, 17, that was one of the first things I thought of is, I love this, but how does this right. scale, right? If I want to have yeah, 100,000 yeah. advisors, how does it scale? Because do we want to be like some of these other, there's pretty large kind of very much faith forward financial firms, you know, or do do we want to uh, take a different approach? And I think that we've matured in that and hope to continue to mature. But, you know, what we would say is that we we are very much a values-based firm that is mm. founded upon biblical principles. And right. so we're, we're right. careful to say that because what we want to hear, let any client or any, you know, future uh, advisor know is that no matter what your background is or what your beliefs or any of those things, you're welcome here. Sure. And we believe that diversity and we believe that the coming together of different ideas and backgrounds and thoughts can only help, but right. our non-negotiable is our values. Right, and, right. you know, these five values and, you know, I, I see so many companies with them on walls and websites and things. But, you know, if you asked a, a 49 financial advisor, what are the values? Not only would they say them, but they'd actually be able to define what they mean. Mm, yeah. And we actually make it a point that in our introductory meetings with every client, we go over our values. And I think that, you know, for us, if you are not a values fit, whether clients or, you know, advisor alike, you know, it's not going to be a fit. Right. And I think we all have seen the more time you spend, if you're, if you're really wanting to be on mission with someone that just doesn't seem to align with those values, mm. Mm. The more it ends up making the mission muddier, makes right. it less uh, less of speed to execution to that mission, all these things. And so, um, yeah, so I would say we're very intentionally careful to keep yeah. it an environment where people feel like it's a safe place no matter who you are. Mm. But we're also mm. very bold to say 49 does come from the Bible. Right. And we right. believe in that principle yeah. uh, to our core in personal and professional life. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so while the company is just a little over a year old, you've kind of been 49 financial for over five years, right? Wasn't it back in June of 15? Right. So, so when you think about that span of time, um, how has your leadership style changed? Do you approach it a little differently now than you did then? You're bigger for one thing, but you know, share us with some of the lessons you've learned over that period. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where do you, you know, start, right? <laughs> yeah. Where do you start? And, and I do want to make sure everyone knows you're, you're asking, uh, also when I was 26 years old versus being 31 year old. Right, so right. there's life lessons there as well of just yeah. maturity, but you know, it, Brant, I could give you a lot of them, but I think that one of the things, uh, just to, just to be vulnerable with you is, you know, in my, in, in my twenties, for some reason, I was I was building this big organization, was making income that I didn't did never believe I'd make at that mm. age, mm. being told everywhere that I'm great, all these things, and then coaching people and and having this gift really to be able to really effectively inspire them to action, you know, to do things mm. and to feel good. And, and and all of that led to whether I could have called it this or not back then, 
really almost this feeding of this savior complex that I had as a mm. leader. Mm. And I, I, you know, I say that, and for listeners, you know, what I mean by that savior complex is really that I believed subconsciously in some ways that these people needed me to save them from mm. something or another, whether it was mm. maturing them, whether it was to provide income for their family, whether it was this, whether it was that. And, you know, Brandon felt good. And when you, right. when you're on yeah. stages and you're getting, right. you know, your bank accounts growing and your clients are loving you and your advisors, all these things, you know, I think that for me, one of the big things 49 Financial says that we're trying to revolutionize this industry is yes, you know, greed is one. This industry is way too filled with it, as we all know. But <laughs> the other one is ego. But right, here I sure. was saying that on the stage wow. and without even knowing it, um, the most ego, you know, in the room. And I yeah, think that as sure. five years have progressed, I think that'll always be a thorn in my flesh. Yeah, but I think sure. that... Um, has God I, chosen to humble you a little bit along the way? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. He gave me a brain surgery and he oh gave, my goodness. He gave physically. me physically. Yeah. I was wow. out for four months Oh my and gosh. he literally wow. plucked me away from the company, emails, texting, work, four month recovery to come back and see that. That's my, pretty radical. That yeah. is pretty radical. <laughs> so physically, and then we had a whole rebuild, as you said, last October. And so you know, from a business standpoint, those two major moments wow. have brought yeah. a level of humility yeah. and uh, driven me to think about it. And really, what is my job? And what I've learned is, mm. you know, on, on a scale of one to 10, I don't think you want someone that's loyal to you in business above an eight. And I think that's mm. controversial. But what I mean by that is what I've seen is the people that get to a nine and 10, they see you as a savior in one way or another. They idolize yeah. you. Right. And if you allow right. that to happen, if anything goes wrong or they get a hint that you actually aren't perfect, even if you never said you were, they can actually go to a negative one on their loyalty Hero scale. To zero. <laughs> that's exactly right. And it can happen overnight as I've seen. Yeah. And that's yeah. a big lesson yeah. for me. Right. Right. Better to have a little bit of a debit balance there. Right. <laughs> for those days that comes in. That's right. Well, that's very, that's very helpful. Thank you, Travis, for sharing that. I know that's uh, been tough and, and fully recovered from the brain surgery. And w when was that, by the way? Yeah. So that was August of 2016. Oh my gosh. Um, so it's a five-year wow. recovery. So I yeah. plan on riding a roller coaster uh, oh, next boy. August because yeah. I'm allowed to, and I can wow. play basketball again. So I've not been able to play for five Jeez. years, which. Oh, you're kidding me. Oh, that's got to kill me. But you. I love golf. Oh my God. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You found other ways to do it. You know, but back to the whole lessons learned on that. I mean, you know, identity wise, having your identity and all these things, taking away your health, taking mm. away even basketball, which in some ways oh, was this gosh. identity for me of being of good course. in a sport um, and all these things and stripping them out to just say. Who are you without all of the things that you claim are your identity? Right. And goodness, what a lesson learned. Yeah, and then, of course, yeah. like I said, he, he, you know, he needed to do a whole other round of lessons four years later with the transition <laughs> of the business, which was beautiful, too. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, you're growing like crazy. Um, how many total advisors are you today? Yeah, so just over 150 today. Wow. And then wow. the hope is, um, you know, we're we're in Atlanta and Dallas and Houston and Austin, and uh, we're opening up Arkansas actually in July of next year. And then we're finally going out to California and, and nice. uh, going to LA and we're going to be doing Nashville. Um, and, you know, we're, we're really, you know, as we, as we gear in, I mean, kind of one of the goals is 
you know, here in the next 15 years, I really do feel called and led and actually feel very bullish about it that we are going to get to 10,000 advisors. And, huh. um, and that would put us as, you know, one of the largest financial firms, definitely the largest independent. Yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah, I, I think that for me, you know, growth in my past has been actually something negative mm. because it was this almost back to the ego, this look how big my company is, right? you know, right, or someone right, says, so right, how big right. is your group God? And I used to love that question because, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it was this fueling of, of look at this, but the ego. Yeah, what sure. I've learned now is, um, and, and really even in the last just couple of years is I would rather grow and not hit that goal I just said. Hmm. If every day that I wake up, I am so full of heart that I look out hmm. at my people, we unite on the same values and the client is getting the best yeah. thing every time. Because, yeah. you know, Simon Sinek yeah. in, in the Infinite Game book, which I'm sure many listeners have read, right. you know, he, he helps this concept of, you know, you may not want to as a CEO, you may not desire people to have what he defines as ethical fading. You know, this right. idea that you say, hit these numbers, do these things, which for a sales organization, not bad. In fact, right. couldn't, couldn't, couldn't survive without it. But what happens when that becomes kind of the one thing, right? It becomes yeah. the thing. People yeah. can cut corners, do different things that you could never even be aware of. That's and it's, right. it's a slow fade. It's like the casting yeah. crown song, right? It happens right. over time. And then you wake up and we, we've seen, I won't, I won't demonize any companies, but we've seen some lately, last couple of years that, then, then there's this toxic culture where things are not going well, or the clients actually bad things are happening to them. And the executive suite saying, well, how did it get here? But it yeah. was that it was that complete focus on results, results, results without this, hey, we need to talk about values and actually recognize right. those just as much. Right. And I think right. that that's that, you know, that's been this interesting lesson. So as I say those big numbers, I also want to say, Brant, I'm totally okay, open-handed by those <laughs> if it means that we do it the right way. Yeah, sounds good. Well, obviously a lot of hiring and, and uh, you know, it, you're probably involved in some of it. I want to talk about that next, but wh what do you look for? What does your organization look for, for, you know, when you want to make bets on these people that you invest in and hire? Yeah. You know, we obviously have kind of like our perfect candidate scorecard that we keep internally. Right. And it's right. all the things, you know, great GPA, right. Uh, past leadership. I mean, all the things I'm sure many of the industry employees... experience, I think. Right. I yeah, mean, do, or, do they come to you with certification and all their they, they, licenses, et cetera? Or? They typically don't, but I would say yeah. industry uh, desire would be right. kind of how right. we would define it if they're a college grad. Uh, sure. But the longer I do it, I, I'll tell you, you know, frankly, you know, it comes down to one big thing. If someone is 22, 23 years old and they want to make it in an industry that right now I think is sitting at nine or 10% retention, I mean, terrible. Right. It's like open up a restaurant. Like wow. that doesn't sound so good. However, there are really, really, really great people that could just do amazing at this, but they all have one thing in common, no matter their background, no matter any of these things. We've seen at 49, the best advisors in this industry have been training in a way their community for a time when they would say, do you trust me from years mm. of seeing my actions, from years of seeing who I am, the way I've done things, would you trust meeting with me and talking about your money? Right. And right. if you've trained your community in a sense that you are that trustworthy of a person, and we have all sorts of questions we ask to get to that point, you know, those people could be excellent at this job at a young age. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And do you get involved in hiring? I mean, with so many people coming in, I'm sure you talk to a few key leaders, but do uh, you know you spend as much time with them? And and, and I guess maybe the question is, what, what do you focus in? What, what are maybe one of those one or two questions? How do you, how do you get at that? Because that's a hard thing to identify. Yeah. So so uh, hiring wise, I, I will do maybe one every month of a final interview, uh, okay. just to kind of get a feel of are yeah. we still people that, you know, on point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can't make it to a final interview at 49 unless you're awesome. And I got to make right. sure to do some quality checks there. Sure. But outside of that, it's all my leaders. I've got an amazing core of people that have been with me for now, you know, some five, six years right. that I trust. But, you know, I think the questions, you know, we're really asking probably more than many uh, interviewers for jobs about their upbringing. Hmm. You know, we're not, we got all the stuff on the resume. Yeah. You right. know, but, but I want to know, like, you know, here's a fun question, right? If you're, if you're, if we're talking to your friend's parents that you grew up with, how hmm. would they describe you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause that's you get a lot one. about the, you know, what they were doing when they were 17 years old. Cause sure. you know, the kid that says, well, I was always the one that like, thank God you're coming with us. You know, thank, you're, God, thank God you're with my son. I my was daughter. the driver. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I was the driver. That's exactly right. And then you start to, you start to gauge that, okay, well yeah. that person, if that person then, you know, as a grown up said, Hey, you trusted me then trust right. me now, right. you know, people with their money, what we've learned is that there's this interesting stat out there that a little people aren't talking about in financial services, which is the average age, depending on the stat that you look at is mid fifties. Wow. Here's what no one's talking about. If 49 financial doesn't keep hiring college grads and the industry is shying away from them and really the industry is in a game of just hiring each other's advisors and offering right. them bonuses. That's what they're doing. Right. right. 49 right. saying, no, 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 let's go through the pain and frankly, the lack of profit in the first few years in developing a college grad because all of these clients, trillions of dollars in retirement accounts are being managed right now by people that in 10 years will not be there because they will either pass away Right. Or be retired themselves. Yeah. Where right. does this, where does the industry go other than to tech if, if 49 doesn't step in? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, it's so funny. My oldest son, and we were talking about that before the podcast, but he was with me and he works for Harley Davidson, right? Okay. Think, Why is a young 30 year old mechanical engineer to Harley Davidson? Well, guess what? He's working on electric bikes. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Harley Davidson has electric bikes. <laughs> you know, it's the noise. It's the, he goes, yeah, dad, but baby boomers are all dying off. Yeah. You know, if they're going to have an attractive motorcycle, yeah. they've got to have something. Smart. And I said, well, that's interesting. So the whole mark, whole marketing's changing dad. He says the, the, you know, whole attraction and, and the, and the, and the, the hogs are just as hoggy as they were. I mean, they're beautiful <laughs> bikes. I don't know if you've seen them. Oh, yeah. But it's just, that's that's awesome. so true. So I, I commend you on that. That's just a great strategy. And, you know, and they'll be serving the millennials for the rest of their lives, that's right? right. That's what you want to do. Them. I love it. I love it. Well, Travis, this has been a pleasure. We're just about out of time, but we do always have one last question we ask all our guests. And, you know, that's kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone that, you know, maybe has their eye on their own corner office. Maybe they're in, you know, a big organization today, or perhaps they want to go do something entrepreneurial. Uh, like you have done, what would you tell them? Yeah, you know, I, I could give you the take a bet on yourself, take a risk, all of those things. Mm. But um, I think the word that I always go back to is loyalty. And that mm. may sound odd as career advice, but the the longer I've done this and the things I've gotten to see and some of the big, you know, events we've gotten to talk about, you know, what I've realized is loyalty should actually be defined as you don't know if you're loyal until it hurts. Mm. Anyone can say they're loyal. 
But when it hurts, you get to see if you are or not. And I think Mm. for me, what I've seen from mentors, from peers, and then people that are mentees to me is that when people actually exhibit true loyalty, and that's rare, everyone says they are, but but you see it because it hurts and they're still with you, stick with them no matter Mm. if you're doing something you think is just the best or the worst, because it's those people that will get you to a place where maybe it isn't the corner office, maybe that's not your calling, but it'll get you to the most fulfilling work around the best people, make you the best version Mm. of you. And I think ultimately you will be led in a direction that you're most proud of if you're doing it with those people. Wow. Great advice. Thank you so much. Travis Jordan Penfield, (laughs) founder and CEO of 49 Financial. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 